Revelation 16, 17 through 21. Kisha malaika wasaba akamwaga bakulilake hewani. Sauti kubwa ikasikika kutoka kwenye kiti chaenzi hekaluni. Ikisema, mwisho umefika. Kukatokea umeme, kelele, ngurumo na tetemeko kubwa la ardhi. Ambalo halijapata kutokea tangu mungu alipomuumba mtu. Njiule mkuu ukapasuliwa sehemu tatu, na yumiji ya mataifa ikatekatea. Babuloni, njumku, hauku sahauliwa na mungu, alinyuesha kikombe cha divai ya gathabu yake kuu. Visiwa vyote vikatoweka, na yumilima hayukonekena tena. Mvue ya mawe makubwa, yenye uzito wakama kilo wa msini kila moja, ikamwanyeshea watu. Na wakumtukara mungu kwa sababu ya mapigo ya mvua ayo ya mawe. Naam, pigo la mvua ayo ya mawe lilikuwa kubwa mno. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 15. And we will be in... Chapters 15 and 16 this morning. We are now, you might not believe this, for those of you who have been here the last several weeks, we're now over halfway through this sermon series and well over halfway through the book uh, of Revelation. And uh, I am I am really enjoying the, the study portion of this. I'm also enjoying the delivery portion of this where we get to look and hear from God's word together, reminded of the hope that we find in Christ. Uh, but as much as I am enjoying this uh, text like today are hard to preach. There's, there's parts of what we'll find today that are, are certainly difficult because the reality for us today is that it is at least, um, well, possible, I'll say that, that someone here today is not yet a follower of Christ. And if you are not yet a follower of Christ, you've not chosen to surrender your life over to him, to trust in him, as we heard the two young ladies share in their testimony, that they that they. Hurt, knew of their sin and wanted to turn away from that and trust in Jesus. If you have not yet done that, what I part of what will be described today uh, in regards to the wrath of God is, is coming toward you. In, in some ways, I guess it's better to say that the wrath of God was coming for all of us, but because we have surrendered to Christ and accepted his substitute for us, then the wrath that was intended for our sin was poured on him who had no sin. So yeah, when, when I think about the wrath of God, and, and as David mentioned, on a day like today, if you don't know, it's, it's called Reformation Day because on October 31st, 1517, kind of began what uh, the Protestant Reformation as we know it today. But we're not going to spend all of our time on the Protestant Reformation. 
That was some 500 years ago. Thankful for it. But I want us to look to these couple chapters today in God's Word. Before we do that, I want to remind us of the same definition that we've been looking at repeatedly um, in this series. Again, if, you, if this is your first time with us, this has been kind of a guiding principle as we walk through this book called Revelation, the one that is offered to John and now to us. And so we get then to this definition uh, that says this, the book of Revelation is a series of apocalyptic visions intended to make known the clear promise of Christ's coming return and eternal reign as a means to offer hope, expect obedience, and inspire worship. This, this definition helps us as we think through such an intricate book, right? All kinds of unknowns for us. Things that, that might even be argued we, we weren't intended to have to know all of the answers to all of the questions at least not on this side of heaven. Remember, we have talked about this often, that we are like peering into yet another window, seeing another part of the story. Each, each time the page turns, it's like we get to see into another portion. And today we are looking at a hard part, a sad part, really. But these, these visions, again, I know I've said this uh, before, but this is helpful for us to see again today that these are not necessarily arranged chronologically, but yet cyclically. So just like today, when John says, I turned and saw, it doesn't mean that it's the next thing in the timeline. Instead, continue to think of it as though he's getting to a peak in through yet another window as the entirety of the story unfolds. I want us to do this. We're not going to read all of it right now, but I want us to read uh, the beginning. So look to chapter 15. We'll, we'll read through chapter 15. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb. We, we talked about this last week. Listen again. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke and the glory of God and from his power no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. 
This is in verse 1 of chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go, pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. We haven't even yet heard what those bowls contain other than the wrath of God. We've already seen lots of sevens, right? Seven letters, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven visions, seven bowls, seven churches, seven angels. Again, notice that these things happen in cycles. This actually seems like it's the third cycle of judgment. Each time it intensifies, it, it strengthens in its circumstance. So far, right, seven seals, trumpets, visions, and bowls that progress and are intensifying. Think, think um, I keep using this word cyclical, but think like a cyclone, like a tornado, right? Like the, the more narrow it gets, like the more intense it gets, Right there, at the end, like right there at the, the tip, it's got to be the, the most poignant, powerful. Uh, and, and so as we're going through these cycles, it's like each time it's more and more and more intense. Bowls of wrath that we read about today, of course, are interpreted to have happened in different time periods as much of Revelation is, has that interpretation. Some course, believe that this is taking place in early Christianity, that it's, it's very much, maybe even right then. Some believe that this is all still to come in the future. Still, some believe that it is ongoing between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. As you might have guessed by now, this is where I land. I do believe that the closer to Christ's return, the more intense things will get. And, and really, no matter what time period this is, it's not good. Like we can, we can take that from it. And I realize that if you know me very well, uh, you know that I'm kind of the silver lining kind of guy. I'm a glass half full. I like it better that way. Uh, things just feel better when I tell myself they are, right? Um, and so it seems like the opposite of my personality to feel so gloom and doom that things are just getting worse, right? But I guess it's helpful to know that as things are getting worse in the world around us, there is only one anchor that we can hold to. And we know him. And his name is Jesus. I want, I want you to simply listen to phrases that are used in chapter 16. They're used to describe the type of devastation that the wrath of God is the, the punishment that's being poured out. Listen to these phrases. There's going to be harmful, painful sores a sea of corpse blood. All living creatures in the sea are dead. Rivers and springs flowing with blood. Increasing heat from the sun. Scorching, fierce heat. Darkness, gnawing tongues. Anguish, cursing, pain, sores, drought. 
a massive dragon with a beast, false prophet, unclean spirits, demonic spirits, flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, earthquake, nations, fall, hundred-pound hailstones, and draining the wine of the fury of God's wrath. When you, when you hear these agonizing truths, it's devastating to ponder that many will experience this kind of punishment. Again, the, the punishment, the, the wrath of God, this is what's deserved for those who have offended God but have not repented of their offense. I want you to pause, like, just for a minute and think. If you're a follower of Christ, if you have repented of your sin, turned away from your sin and yourself, and you've trusted in Jesus, consider the reality that Jesus took all of this punishment on the cross for you. Right? I think sometimes we just let that kind of pass over us. Like, certainly we remember the nail-pierced hands and the crown on his head and, and the side pierced and that he's hanging on the cross. And so we, we think about the, the physical agony that he went through and we think, thank you for taking that for me. But did you, did you think about all of this other wrath? Like, he's, he's drinking the bowl of wrath for you. This is what Jesus did for you. Yes, of course, he, he physically takes on punishment, the punishment of death for us, church. This this drastic sense of understanding the spiritual reality that Jesus took for us on the cross must cause something different in us. You and I must hold on to this grave reality. For all of you who have chosen to reject God or continue to choose to reject him. You fall prey to the things of this world. I want you to know that this is a, a loving, compassionate warning that this judgment is coming toward you. And I, I, I love you too much, and I, I may not have even met you. I love you too much. You were made in the image of God. I, I love you too much for you not to hear that truth. People, you hear that description sometimes, right? Like, if there's a truck coming towards somebody, at least you would yell at them and tell them to get out of the way. If not, maybe you would push them out of the way. You would tackle them. Something, there's, there's an 18-wheeler headed your way. I'm telling you that this 18-wheeler has... Is, is the wrath of God. And I, I don't have the ability to turn you from your sin. 
I can only alarm you to it. Now, maybe you would be asking then, Chad, this is church, and so most of us here today have surrendered to Christ. I certainly hope that's the case. So why would this passage be particularly helpful to the people of God? This was a letter written to the people of God, the people of the church. Why, why would he include this if, they're not, if we aren't going to have to experience this wrath? Remember that this is intended to make clear this promise of Christ's coming return and his eternal reign. Why? For hope, obedience, and worship. Listen to this thought from J.I. Packer regarding the wrath of God. He says, thus, God's love, as the Bible views it, never leads him to foolish, impulsive, immoral actions in the way that its human counterpart too often leads us. And in the same way, God's wrath in the Bible is never capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble. That the human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. God is only angry where anger is called for. Even among humans, there is such a thing as righteous indignation, though it perhaps is rarely found. But all God's indignation is righteous. Would a God who took as much pleasure in evil as he did in good be a good God? Would a God who did not react adversely to evil in his world be morally perfect? Surely not. But it is precisely this adverse reaction to evil, which is a necessary part of moral perfection that the Bible has in view when it speaks of God's wrath. So, this text, with those harsh realities brought by each one of these seven angels, is a call for the children of God to hope, obey, and worship. So let us consider the first of that, hope. How is this to bring hope to us? You see, hope is solidified because God is the Almighty Right? Revelation 15, 3. O Lord God, the Almighty. Chapter 16, verse 7. Yes, Lord God, the Almighty. What makes him so almighty? Well, even in this, it's described as great and amazing. Verse 3, right? Great and amazing are your deeds. The fact that he does things that no one else can do. I don't know if, you, if you've ever thought about the might that it takes to create something out of nothing. We always think of him as creative in that. He is, and, and we should certainly give him credit for his creativity. We've talked about even in here, the different weird animals that he created. The uniqueness of them, right? But he's also mighty, so mighty that he speaks things into existence. 
He doesn't have to, to fashion them with his strong hands, which he could. But no, he just speaks and nothing becomes something. Great and amazing are his deeds. Hope is solidified. See, we can have hope. We can pray to the God of all creation because he is the creator. We can, we can pray and, and trust and hope that he will do what is best because he has the ability to do what is best. Praying to a weak God doesn't do us much good. Praying, God, heal. Not sure if he has that ability or not. It doesn't help. It doesn't bring hope. We're just kind of begging. Is there anyone up there who might maybe be able to do something somehow? No, no. When we, when we get on our knees and we're begging for God to bring healing, we know that he can do it. Not just physical healing, but when we're asking him to, to heal a marriage, when we're asking him to, to heal our broken body, our, our hurt mind, our, our emotional state, we're saying, God, heal me. Bring, bring uh, hope and peace and comfort where I have none. We know that we're calling to the only one who can actually bring it. Hope is solidified in the fact that he is the Almighty. But hope is found because God is our good king. Look again, right here, 15.3. O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. And this, I hope, that this reminds you that he is a loving father that will not bring his wrath upon you, his child, but instead will offer you his gracious arms of protection. What makes a king good? Like when you think about uh, a king who has sole authority over the kingdom, what makes a king? Just think in general. What, what would make a king good? A good king would be a just king. One who doles out punishment when it's needed and gives it in a, like the, the right punishment that fits the crime. Also, you would want him to be honest, upright, right? You would want him to, to be able to speak truth. We don't want one who waffles back and forth trying to, to waver, one who kind of stands on shifting sand. And so how is he described here? But just and true. He's honest. He speaks Truth. In fact, he is described as the truth. And this combination of his might and his goodness is what brings us hope. Right? Think about it. If God is simply all-powerful, strong, but he does not bring good to us necessarily, then we simply just have like the Hulk who likes to smash things, right? If that's, if that's all we have is strong and powerful, but no love. But in the same sense, if God is simply good, just, 
honest, but no power, man, you got like a Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Who's kind, but he can't do anything about it. Right? We don't, we don't need either one of those. What brings us hope is that when we call to him, not only can he do what is best, but he wants to do what is best because he loves us. Now, I do give this warning. He also knows what is best. And sometimes, maybe even many times in our life, when we call to him, he does what is best even when we're asking for something else. Because we don't always know what he knows. What a good God he is to know and do what is best. So our hope is found in the truth that God is both great and good. His works are amazing and his acts are just. So we have hope. Secondly, we're called to obey. Find our hope in God and obey him. You see, obedience is expected because rebellion is punished. I mean, think about this even in our parenting, right? We, we punish our children for disobeying whatever that might be. Whatever the, the law of the house is, we punish them, hopefully in a right way, because it's deserved. And so the, what we hope will come from that is obedience, Right, that they'll remember, oh, I don't want to do that again because I got, I got punished last time I did that. Rebellion is punished. I wonder, are you a rebel? Like, are you one who has gone against God? I'll tell you this. Scripture tells us that all of us are. Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, every one of us in this room, including myself, have fallen short of the glory of God. And Scripture tells us that the punishment, the wages of that sin is death. Like what we deserve for, like the, the punishment for that, because we've offended, because we've sinned against God, we've rebelled against him, we deserve death. Not just like physical death, but everlasting, eternal death, separation from God. But, but there is a way. Jesus, as I've mentioned already, came and takes on that punishment for us. We're dying on the cross, living, dying on the cross. But he didn't just die. He defeated death, came back to life three days later so that you and I could have everlasting life with Christ, with God for all time. 
This, so that we could live with this one who is the Lord God, the Almighty, who has just and true are his ways, the one who is king of the nations, so that we could have everlasting life with him. And so I'm, I'm offering this to you. I, I guess I'm, not, I'm just letting you know about it, that it is being offered to you by Christ to trust in him today. Right where you sit, you can pray meaning talk to God and say, I know that I am a rebel against you. I know that I've offended you. I've disobeyed your commands and I need you. So I'm gonna obey whatever it is you say. I'm gonna surrender myself. I'm shifting allegiance. My allegiance was to myself. Now my allegiance is to Christ. Whatever it is he says, I will do. I don't want to receive that punishment. I want, to, I want to obey the king. Right where you are, call out to God in this way. And you can know that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins every, for any one of us at any moment of any day. Obedience is expected because rebellion is punished and obedience is deserved. He deserves that from us because holiness is in action. A.W. Pink says that the wrath of God is the holiness of God stirred into activity against sin. So this is his perfection, the holiness of God, that he is set apart in his perfection. Revelation 16, 5. Just are you, O holy one who is and who was. You brought about these judgments because he is perfectly righteous in all his ways, holy, never doing wrong, never acting wrong, never commanding wrong. He deserves for us to obey him, right? We, we think about that, again, think about this in the, the area of just authority. So your boss deserves for you to do what your boss says because they're in that authority position. Your parents, right, they, they kind of demand obedience because they're in a position of authority. Not because they're flawless, though. However, the Lord of all creation not only has the rightful seat to be obeyed, he is the only one who is perfect, deserving our obedience in this way. So we hope, we obey, and we worship. I mean, think, think about it, right? This one who offers such hope and deserves such obedience? Why wouldn't our hearts be stirred to give him the praise and glory that he deserves? Worship is given because God is just and repentance is required. Listen again to these type phrases. Great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God, the Almighty, who is just and true. Revelation 16, 5, just are you, O Holy One? Revelation 16, 9, though, listen to this. They cursed the name of God. They did not repent. 
and did not give him glory. Verse 11, we cursed the God of heaven and they received pains and sores and they did not repent for their deeds. They're receiving punishment and still not repenting. Right? They're, they're feeling the, the weight and the wrath of God being poured out on them, judgment after judgment after judgment, and repeatedly they don't turn. I fear for some of us here today who have heard about the wrath of God, are hearing right now about the punishment of God, the eternal punishment of God. You've heard it for weeks, and you're saying, I'm not turning away. I think one of the parts of worship that we miss often is the work of confession, even as believers. The, the ongoing work of us hearing from the word of God and hearing him uh, convict us of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit and us not confessing our sin before God. So I'm just gonna give you a heads up now. My call to us as believers is to confess our sin before God. That's because part of our worship is to say, give me clean hands and a pure heart. Cleanse all of my unrighteousness. Worship is given because God is just and repentance is required. Worship is also offered because God is holy and glory is deserved. Do you believe that today? That, that the, he deserves for us to glorify him to elevate him, to celebrate him, to, to make his name great in all the earth. This work of glorifying, right? To, uh, to like make, imagine trying to make him brighter. Like we want more people to hear of him and see of him and know of him and follow him. We want, we want him to be, it's not like we can actually make him any bigger. We just want him to be louder to all of the world. <laughs> That's why questions like Revelation 15, 4, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name for you alone are holy. This is why all nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Verse eight, the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God. It's, it's overwhelming even the very room. Just are you, O holy one. This is the one who is and who was and is right, who is right now and who was forever be. Again, why is it that these punishments are coming? It's because they, they did not repent and they did not give him glory. Worship is offered because God is holy. 
and glory is deserved. Again, A.W. Pink, one of my favorite authors, a book called The Attributes of God, in his chapter on the wrath of God says, Great will be the rejoicing of the saints on that day. Saints, the people of God. When the Lord shall vindicate his majesty, exercise his awful dominion, magnify his justice, and overthrow the proud rebels who have dared defy him. Do you dare defy him? Have you ever thought about your rejection of God in that way? Your not repenting as defying the creator of the universe. Have you ever thought about it like that? Have you thought about, even as a believer, that when you are convicted of your sin, that you not you not confessing that is disobedient to God? Think, oh no, that's just really about me. It's about you disobeying. Ever thought of that? That what, what this should remind us today is that we deserve that wrath. Everyone in the room, all of us born into sin, all of us choosing to sin, deserve eternal punishment. So if you don't know, you never trusted in this Jesus, I want to plead with you one more time. Believe in him. Turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus. Repent and believe. Maybe it is that you have questions about it. To my left here, there will be some in this room that would love to, to talk with you, answer some of those questions. Maybe you, your questions are answered and you're just afraid. You're afraid of what you gotta give up. You're afraid of what you're gonna have to change. Surrender. Who? That, that's a hard thing to do. I'm telling you, we would love to, to share why it's worth it. So please, don't, don't leave here today without confidence in knowing Christ. As the Musicians come even now. I want to speak to those who are followers of Christ, to the church, and specifically to the church of Colonial Heights. As you know Christ, and the Holy Spirit resides in you, if there are sins in your life that you need to confess, I plead with you today to confess them. Not because... The, the wrath of God in this same way is the, those bowls are not coming for you. They've already gone to Jesus. But because they went to Jesus, confess your sin. 
know that he is faithful and just. In fact, you can do that right where you are. You might, you might say, I, wanna, I need to, to come before even treating this almost like a, an altar that it takes that, that physical movement for us sometimes. Maybe you just come right here and kneel and say, God, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I do, I do desire greatly that today we would be filled with hope, that we would be quick to obey, and that we would offer the worship that our God deserves. So as we sing, would you sing? Like if, you, if you're one who is a little bit uh, worried about your singing, will you speak the words on the screen to the Lord? Like that's okay. That's a good step. Worship the one who deserves your worship. May, may this be the case for us today. Do you stand and respond as the Lord leads?